Hello and welcome to Movie of the Year, the only podcast with the science and the screaming to determine the best movie for any given year. This season, we are focusing on 1973, the groovy 1973s, baby. I am your host, Greg. Joining me on this quest to talk about a very special movie, The Long Goodbye, are three contestants because, yes, this is a game show. I'm going to be awarding points for correct answers. Hilarious comments, but only hilarious. If a little funny, no. Hilarious, you got it. Or things that just uh, confirm my worldview, because that makes me feel very very comfortable in a lot of ways. Not joining me is the champion from last show. Nate won the last show, and he said, I am retiring the champion. Never to be on the show ever again until you guys invite me. Taking his place as sort of interim champion is going to be Mike. How you doing, Mike? I'm, I love to take credit for somebody else's wins. I'm here. I'm good. <laughs> I'm well-rested. Took a couple weeks off. Went to film school. I'm back. Nate revealed that he was filling in with you because he is also of Sicilian descent. Did you know that about him? I did. We've recorded a whole podcast about what it's like to be Sicilian. Just about Over me. on Nate's podcast. <laughs> Check out Nate's podcast. It's called A Vague Idea. A Vague Idea. Also joining us, the person that lost last time, okay. but... But it came in second place. Came in second place is Ryan. Ryan, how did you how did you approach the week with your loss? Uh, I mean, a couple things happened last week, Mike uh, or Greg. I had uh, infinitely more points than Mike. Yeah. So that's true. Mike kind of did not post. Right. No. No points for Mike. And then also joining us because I think because this show is based on the, this movie is based on a book. We brought in somebody who has an expertise with books. And it's, of course, our good friend, Books. Hello, Books. Welcome to the show. Hey, I'm so glad to be here. I thought we were talking about the book only, though. So only feel, the book. Yeah, a little underprepared. But no, unfortunately, we're going to talk about the movie instead, right. because that only takes a couple hours to watch. And reading a book. Books, you can be the judge of this, but I, reading a book, two years? Oh, yeah. Years, easily. Maybe. Easily. Yeah. Yeah. By the time it gets to the end, it's like, man, I don't even remember the beginning of this thing. Mm, you're a whole new person, too. Yeah. It's just, yeah. You've seen the world. We are doing 1973's The Long Goodbye. Books, do you have any experience with this movie at all? Do you have any prehistory with this movie? I knew one actor. (laughs) Elliot Gould Gould is the actor that I am very familiar, not very familiar. I've seen more than one thing of him, like with him in it. Is it the Gellers, the Patriarch of the Gellers? It is the Patriarch of the Gellers. (laughs) It is Ocean's Eleven. Um, Mm. That is my Elliot Gould's. uh, Gould's. The full extent. Yeah, that's that's my knowledge. Um. And uh, I, I wasn't even a thought when this movie came out. So, none <laughs> 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 of us were. Don't. don't yeah. Try I'm sorry. You're, you're not like these three it. pieces of shit. <laughs> even your exceptionally old co-hosts are not. Not this. Okay, not that's good. Not quite this old. And in fact, it's one of the weird things about watching these movies in '73. It's just like these people aren't around anymore. Like some of the very young people are now very old people, mm-hmm. but for the most part, you like see someone in a movie who's like sixty, and you're just like, yeah, that one's yeah, you're t- you're gone, man. Greg, your favorite thing uh, is walking by when somebody's watching an old movie and pointing out pets that are dead. Yes, and this is Morris the cat, the Morris the cat. Yeah, that is in this movie. It, it died. No, dead forever. Dead. The yeah. dog is definitely still around. I refuse to accept that. Man. People could die, but some of the beaches aren't even here <laughs> <laughs> anymore. But the rest of us, I feel like we had a little bit of history. and like We kind of chose this season in part because of excitement about this movie. Mike, you have uh, history with this movie, right? Yeah. Uh, you first watched it. 
Huh? You have beef with this movie? I have beef with this movie. Uh, it stole my girl. It's on site with this movie. It is. Yeah, I love this movie. Uh, I love noir films in general and anybody who fucks with little and like so many things. They started to fuck with it way earlier than we think. So many people are like, you know, in the 2000s, so and so. No, it's it's always early. The minute a genre is formed, the next person comes out and is like, oh, I'm going to start fucking with that genre. Uh <laughs> I fucking love the Philip Marlowe movies, and yeah, Elliot Gould is a okay. Sexy, so you're sexy a fan man. of like sort of the whole canon, and you like this entry into it. Oh uh, yeah, I love this entry. Okay, because I think that that's where some people might have questions. Ryan, do you have any any history with this movie? I do. Uh, similar to Mike's, I think that Mike and I have done a podcast way back in the day about it. Um, and Don't I think talk about that podcast, Ryan. That was the first time that we had ever, I had ever watched it. But we it. sing about it. <laughs> um, but yeah, like this is, uh, I would say that my favorite type of movie. Congratulations! I'm Greg. out. Dude, early lead for the Gregster here, right? I'm pulling front. Uh, L.A. Noir and meta movies are probably my two favorite genres. To just Getting the bathtub the game, with these LA two, Noir. with these two things, is just like this is up my alleyway, deep up your alleyway, up in there, and then like turns the corner and does a little tickle. And did watching it this time, first off, books. What were your what were your general thoughts about watching it or before watching it? Uh, no, tell now, us all your thoughts, not about the movie, before watching the movie. <laughs> <laughs> One, I'm born. I'm like, what the hell is everything? This is fucked oh up. Got you by my like, brief research. Overwhelmed by sensory information. <laughs> it's a wild time. But uh, having seen the movie generally, without getting into any specifics, did you enjoy it? Was this a good time at the movies for you? This was a good time. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Um, I think I didn't like i'm not very familiar with the genre as a whole mm-hmm. so this is really like me dipping my toes not just into this but the genre as a whole um but i enjoy that i always test a movie by like how willing i am to pause when i have to go to something else okay and i didn't want to pause all the time so you like, just let it run well i i just unfortunately just, I'll miss I, this. I, like, so like you just go to a store <laughs> and then the movie's still going, still going shit you know, i have to go it. work for eight <laughs> hours you know what let it run it's fine uh, but no, like like my son would start crying, and I'd be like, oh, okay, pause it really quick, go address what he would need, and then you know, like how mm-hmm. willing I am to step away, like take a mo- break. I didn't want to. I, I didn't want to leave my son crying. I'm not a horrible person, but I, I didn't <laughs> want to, you know. You know what? Uh, that's a point for you. I think that's an interesting thing, though. Like, uh, you don't want Watchmen to be anybody's first comic, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you want them to build up a foundation yeah. so they watch the Watchmen, so or until they read the Watchmen, and. Uh, so I think Mac is going to have a different perspective on all this of like, what is this actually parroting and why? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because there's there's right. the commentary, but if it's kind of your first, in, but something we'll we'll get into it. But I I think that it's still a good representative sample of yeah. the genre itself. And also, it's it's easy to build around. Like you could be like, well, I I get what the other movies are like because of context clues mm-hmm. right and like the simpsons or whatever well it, right if you live not life something in culture like not talked about right so yeah you get enough based off of and I, I i've seen clips and things like that i'm not completely i've seen clips i've seen i've seen <laughs> something now uh i'm very naive but not that I, I haven't lived in a cave mike and ryan did you enjoy it as much as previous viewings did you enjoy it more is there something about the scrutiny of the show that changed your viewing at all Liked it more, uh, and I can't tell you the last time in my life for a podcast or not, a movie ends, and I just hit play again. Oh, hell yeah. Uh, friends, I bought this movie on Apple TV, because I'm like, well, nice. I'm going to just watch this, like, annually, probably. That That is a long goodbye. Like, 
Uh, can't even say goodbye. Uh, I honestly do have a complicated relationship with this movie. I keep watching it, and it keep it keeps changing for me. Of like how much I, I don't want to say respect it because I respect it a lot, but like how much it's delivering truly, as opposed to how much it's delivering as like a prank. Uh huh. That's what keeps changing for me, and I I I enjoy the prankishness of it, but I don't respect it as much as the how uh, thick I once thought it was. So that keeps changing for me. Yeah. It's interesting though, because it's sometimes where it feels like it is being a satire in the, in the truest way. It still feels like it's taking an attempt at being robust. Otherwise, you know, like I don't think that it, it ever gives itself over to parody in a way that doesn't respect the genre or doesn't respect what they're doing. Right. But I do think that, like, there are these people who, like, with if you look at Altman's McCabe and Mrs. Miller, or if you look at Zaz's Airplane, these are movies that do exactly, all the way through, exactly what they're supposed to do. And this one kind of, to me, sort of uh, dabbles in all fields and, like, has its cake and eats it too. And that's sort of what I want to get into. And, like, what are its feelings on 1973, you know? Yeah, we're going to have a chance to talk a lot about Altman because I think that this movie is pressing up against his natural tendencies, which are to let things just run and see what you end up getting. And then this is kind of a dense story. And so those are sort of tensions that push against each other. And I think that at times, maybe the movie gives a little bit under those pressures. And I think he learned from his past of watching movies that when he says that the story doesn't matter, he learned it from watching other Philip Marlowe movies from the past. Ah, okay. I like that. Ryan. I like how uh, if your job is to make movies, then part of your homework for that is to watch movies. Mm -hmm. That's very, that makes making movies very tempting to do. (laughs) When we come back, we are going to jump into some specific questions. (laughs) Director Robert Altman said he wanted Philip Marlowe to wake up in the 1970s, a man out of time, and just wander through the twists and turns of the long goodbye. Elliot Gould seems to have taken this to heart because he crafted the wanderingest performance in the history of Hollywood. We start with him waking up at 3 a.m. and heading to his kitchen, and he never really loses the energy of someone stumbling around in their robe and slippers, trying to remember what exactly it is they're supposed to do with this time, muttering about how nothing is where it should be and no one keeps this place nice anymore. Slouching through Southern California and parts of Mexico, Marlowe truly travels the highs and lows of 1970s masculinity while sort of shrugging at women and muttering to himself, It's okay by me. All while trying to separate friend from foe and being haunted by a titular song. The most obvious difference between The Long Goodbye and the film noir of the 40s is Gould's Marlowe. What do we make of Elliot Gould's performance and how he ain't your daddy's bogey? He does not solve his problems with his fist first. He seems in every situation to be like, I bet I can slur my way out of this situation. At one point, he's literally like, don't. Don't punch me. Yeah, do not he do says, physical don't, violence don't to this person. Me. Come on. <laughs> well, that and anytime that he's in a room with a ton of danger, he still has, for as long as he possibly can, that face of like, probably nothing's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Probably the, the knife nothing. comes down towards the end. He's <laughs> looking at it like, so is like a bang flag going to come out of the switchblade? <laughs> 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 Which, what an impressive trick that would be. It's also impressive that he's able to run his mouth as consistently as he is yes. without anyone actually, you know, taking that next step. It, it feels just... like he is certain that he is never going to be mm-hmm. punched yes. in the face, except for that one moment where he screams out, please don't do that. I almost thought of him as, like, Peter Parker from early 60s or late 60s comics of, like, 
we're seeing not his uh, word balloons, but his cloud balloons. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Like, yes. people... People pay attention to him so little, and he talks so much that we have to be just seeing an inner outer monologue. Yeah, it does feel at times like he can't actually be saying what he's saying, or that the volume at which we hear it is not representative, which is something right. that happens a lot in, I guess, Robert Altman movies, right? Like right. The way yes. he does the the dialogue is it you can't mic and it correctly. That's why I love uh, the character of Augustine, the the gangster. Is he seems to be just like hot priest knows all of Fleabag's. Breaking the fourth wall. Yeah. Like, Marty hey, Augustine what are you is looking the one over guy. There? <laughs> Marty Augustine's the one guy who hears everything, and you can see Marlo be like, "Oh fuck, what?" <laughs> <laughs> but um, this the the sort of like walk of Gould, uh, his like slouched, sort of like slumping forward. How much is that the character itself? How much is that him being? I don't know, like so out of place. And not really what you expect. I think that, like, okay, so here's my history on the whole shebang. I've read one Chandler. I've seen a bunch of movies. Thanks. And <laughs> including the long, the long Goodbye. And then I feel like that Chandler was just adapted into being the 40s version of Stallone or Schwarzenegger, right? Like, this is, like, this is what action heroes are like in this time. And so he was, like, quick with the quip. And he was sarcastic, and he like always had the thing to say. Uh, what based on what I've read about Marlowe in the books, he was a little more slubby. He was uh-huh. a little more like uh, dirty, I guess. And then, so Gould is sort of and Altman are echoing back to that, but also echoing back to like that bogey character would not work now in the seventies. Also, with the big wake up of the Rip Van. Uh, Marlo, Marlo thing, is this Barbie? Right. Is this the Brady Bunch movie of like, oh, I'm now awake. I have now transformed. I've gone into a new dimension. I do feel like there's something to the fact that I mean, it's supposed to be like this character woke up in this time, and that literally is where we start is with him waking up, and it's like he wakes up at a weird hour, and he mm-hmm. never seems to quite recover from the fact that, like, it, he's groggy from waking up. Being groggy sucks. <laughs> it's, it's worse than being is, sick. Is the character, you mentioned something, Ryan, that in the in the book or in the other versions, that Marlo's very quippy. And certainly, like, we have a long history of our action heroes being super quippy. Is the character in this movie <laughs> quippy? And is it supposed to be that the character is bad at it? Or is Elliot Gould kind of bad at it? I think it? he's quippy if you can catch it. Like, if you can cut the pre-mumble and the post-mumble <laughs> from the quip, then you might get a quip. But for the most part, he's like... I mean, like, he walks away from the nurses, and he's like, oh, ladies, man, crazy ladies. Yeah. Like, that's not anything. He's talking unhomed. Like, that's how he sounds the entire time. <laughs> Mike, in your experience, is Marlo, as a character, is he usually very quippy and clever? No, well, that's... No, because I think nobody became quippy or clever until the 80s. Uh, Anytime you go back and you watch, maybe it's just weird, out of time. It it always sounds not good. And that's what I love about him. Just like he does remind me, Ryan, you said is 1960s Spider-Man of like, I know you're trying to be quippy, but mostly Uh you are just filling space (laughs) and being annoying. And uh, I get why people kind of don't like you sometimes. 
And that I've I've liked that so much better than a yippee kaye motherfucker mm-hmm. of him being like, Yeah, well it says you. Like <laughs> like it's always just like, gotta say something and <laughs> it'll confuse you so you think I won, as he knows he never really wins a verbal exchange. Or I can at least see everybody. Mike, young Mike, watching both of these movies, Die Hard and Long Goodbye, and being like, These are both equally ridiculous, right? Like Yes. <laughs> why would either one of these attract any woman whatsoever? Do do we feel like he really is a man out of time, like 50 years later. So we are out of the time of, of the 70s by quite a bit. And then totally removed from everything except the idea of the 40s and early 50s. Does Marlowe ring to us as a modern audience as, wow, this guy is really just out of joint with how the, the times seem? No. Maybe it's just <laughs> me being out of such a perspective. But no, he didn't. He seemed... I to me it kind of I don't even know where I'm going with this. Because it seems like, like I'll tell you one thing that I, I think that we may not clock in exactly the same way is like the how much dedicated to health food everybody is or like health culture, um, mm. and that is like supposed to be a big jump from the. And he's a chain smoker. Yeah, and he is like a chain smoker, constantly smoking all the time, which I think was still like legal and okay to do then where i know it was but nobody else does like you mm-hmm. don't see anybody else smoke in the it's, entire movie it's early on but where it notices is when he gets into the grocery store and he's like well i should light up because i'm in a new area <laughs> now she's like, you fucking monster <laughs> there's food in this room like what are you doing in smoking in the I, grocery store i think that like uh th- the way that the smoking goes is like yeah i think that he is sort of out of he's in a different movie than yeah. the rest of the people. And I think that's what is important. And so yeah, you... Because it, it doesn't feel time-based mm-hmm. to me. Because he does seem more progressively thinking, even though it's, you know, it's not what we think today, but he does, like, he is more accepting of a lot of people's lifestyles. He is, he, like, but he's like, more... He's not a man's man. So that's why he doesn't feel like bogeys Marlowe. Because he's not like, ha-ha, I will punch you now. Like... Uh-huh. Let me ask you this, then, about his catchphrase. When he says, the, that's okay by me, is it more... I'm being honest. That is true. It's okay by me. Or like, this is just what I have to say to these new people. I, I think it's honest because everybody comments on his neighbors and he's like, yeah, they're just some crazy girls. Let it go, man. Like, he just doesn't care. See, uh, it, there is like this implicit sort of like idea that he has to say it's okay. And not from the stance of like, he has to permit it. But the idea that like, it doesn't have to be okay by you or not. There's so many things where he's just like, yeah, it's okay that that woman acted like that. And it's like, well, it's not for you to decide whether it's okay or not. And so they're like, it is a little bit of it is like, oh, well, why does he bother to say it? Like, it, it doesn't have to be okay or not okay by him. But he's so often, it seems like he's judging everything to be fine. But we don't need the judgment at all, I guess I'm saying. Let's talk about his neighbors. Because the neighbors, how do we, in a modern way view the characters of his neighbors as like what the movie is trying to achieve and what it's trying to like poke fun at and whether or not it actually achieves that. Honestly, Greg, as me right now, I found them to be naked. They were naked (laughs) as heck. Yeah. Like, uh, you definitely never lose sight of the fact that you're not angry that you're seeing them (laughs) naked. You know, that like whether or not like you're evaluating the whole time and you're like, but you're like all the characters that go into his apartment. There's so many characters that go and stand in his apartment and then have conversations and spend the entire time looking out the window, looking at the women on the balcony. But what are they in the movie? Like, are they supposed to just be, are they just a stand in for hippie culture? 
That's what I read it as. It's it's just their hippy dippy Hollywood. You and you still see like these magic crystal shops on Hollywood Boulevard today. Yeah. So it just feels like th- there's a part of Hollywood that's never aged out of that, and th- it felt like that. And he has, like, he has no attraction to them. He doesn't look at them. Right. He doesn't mm-hmm. see them. In fact, he doesn't really seem to see many women. That's why I think that he's out of time, is that he is not ever pissed that it's not still the 40s, and he's not ever pissed that it is now the 70s. Yeah. Right? He just floats through this middle thing right. of, like, look, Marlo going to be Marlo, no matter when it is. And you guys have to figure out what you're going to do because of that. And Marlo, like, the the instincts or the traits of Marlo just always stand, which is, like, uh, you know, I'm a dirty person. I like, I, I'm not great, but also there are black and white rights and wrongs yes and if you cross that then we're gonna have a problem and that leads into our next point and so we'll stop it there and take mike what would you say the quickest of breaks that's how i hope it will be let's take the quickest of breaks and then come right back let's go shopping so we all get to run through 1973's the long goodbye grabbing whatever we want and throwing it into our huge, comically-sized shopping cart. And first up, our first draft pick is going to go to me. Wow. What? Very exciting. That's crazy. Very exciting that I get to go first. It just happened that way. <laughs> I just drew I just drew lots, and I, I got to go first. And I'm going to choose the 1971 Ferrari 365 <laughs> GTS that uh, Terry Lennox drives. Um, you probably could have had this in the third round. A, f- a Ferrari? No, because Mike knows that I like cars now, and so now I like, have to act <laughs> very closely. I've learned one thing about Greg in my 20-year friendship. <laughs> he likes cars, cars 2, and cars 3. A lot of good cars in this movie. All the main characters drive convertibles. Uh, even the Jeep that she drives at the end doesn't have a, a ceiling I th- or a roof. I think that's just so that um, so that's easy to see. film. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, up next is Ryan. Ryan, what do you want to grab from this movie? Greg, I'm going to take a 1973 supermarket. I want the whole kit and caboodle. The thrifty? Yeah, I want the building. I want all of the uh, aisles, and I want that food to be exactly as it is. So I can choose to eat probably not the produce. Yeah. But some of the other stuff I can eat. Yeah, some of those like old Fritos. And I love like I love the like the the design of the wrappers. Like mm-hmm. I think that it's so cute. Very old school. Yeah. So you want these supermarket there's one type of Doritos. It's just like plain Doritos. Uh-huh. Not going to get confused. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. I bought the wrong Doritos again. Get some mellow yellow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, dude. Very nice. I think that's a good choice. Going to get some curry brand cat food. Yo, you can't get no, that. I can't get that. that. I but can't get curry brand That store food. is a thrifty, so that means you can get some of that ice cream, get some of that chocolate yeah. malt crunch. Yeah. It's the best flavor. The best flavor. Chocolate malt crunch? Yes. From thrifty. No, uh, from, you, from, from thrifty ice best cream? You fucking idiot <laughs> shit. That Are is you the serious? census best flavor. Malted is disgusting. <laughs> it tastes like That's a point. chocolate vomit. And you know what? I also mm-hmm. said it. So. Damn it. Why did I say neutral? <laughs> Why did I ask for beige ice cream? All right, McKenna. All right, I I might be breaking the rules on shopping spree. Are there any rules on shopping spree? Uh, There's like no rules, right? Not Greg it's knows. more like you build your case and then yeah. it's a good case, yeah. Okay, so I want the security guard. 
<laughs> well, we don't like drafting people. Okay, we don't draft people. Because of slavery? But yeah, that's what I felt like there was should be a rule on that. But oh, I felt but you like want that guy? You want to hire that guy? I yeah. want to hire him. Yeah. Yeah, to just like, do impressions in your house? It, well, no, I want him to stand out front of my house and prevent all of the people who try to like come to my door he selling really solar panels. He doesn't prevent anything, though. No, he kind I of feel think like... You just have to... It's like instead of Riddles 3, you just have to like listen to Impressions 3, and then you always get to go by. Yeah, but those people are like paid by... They're not going to sit and listen to a lot of Impressions. They're going to like walk away. This is a paying job. So I I think that McKenna is also drafting the money to pay him for the rest of his life. And the little booth, probably. And the little booth. I want the booth. I want want him. I want Impressions when I want them, and then I also want everyone who dares to come to my door to deal with Impressions. I love driving down McKenna's normal-ass, suburban, (laughs) boring-ass street, (laughs) but there's one house with a gate in a booth. <laughs> I think the, the idea behind those impressions is that he does old impressions, right? Yes. His yeah. impressions are very Hollywood. Mm-hmm. That's again, you dial the clock forward 50 years and it's like, I don't know, that's closer to the time than you think it is. Uh-huh. Everybody, that's not that old timey compared to some of what I'm seeing in here. But do you want him to learn new stuff? Do you want him to be like, oh, this is Billie Eilish? I'm honestly fine with the old impressions. You I don't need him to keep up with Brennan. times. Yeah. Do, you, do you, like you should? We should roll it back like 20 years. So like, do Joe C from Kid Rock. <laughs> <laughs> do Fur Troyer. And That's it'll always just want. be 20 years in the yeah, past. Okay, so you're, you're doing. All little people? Yeah, Greg's really keeping them stuck <laughs> on the little people. <laughs> okay. God, but like, you don't have to see it because you live in your fucking mansion. You don't have to look in the booth, but his heartbreak when they don't get his impression. I, yeah, yeah maybe I should have him have him learn some modern day just so people <laughs> recognize and can like point out. That's and be like, tough for him. Hey. Wait. <laughs> Elliot Gold said this guy's a big Walter Brennan Jr. fan. Yeah, the, the guy was not that. Yeah. His heart he, was he terrible. The thing anybody did to anybody in this movie is what <laughs> Elliot Gold did to that guy right Coke there. bottles aside, Mike, your camera's off. Mike, get your dang camera on because it's your pick, bud. Yeah. Okay. Now you I got you got you got back to back picks here, brother. Oh, yeah. I'm going to lock in my first pick, which I like to call the Greg pick. Woo. I want a Mercedes Benz 450 SL. That is Mrs. Wade's car. It's a convertible. Yeah, that's the Merc. Yeah. Is that the one that hits Elliot Gould right in the face at the end of the movie? No, but it's when he's chasing it and it, it mm-hmm. he does get oh, hit by the other car, car behind that yeah. car. Yeah, yeah she gets, doesn't hit him. Yeah, but she does like drive away from him without it being totally clear whether or not. She, she knows knew, right? Like, I've seen my wife's face when I'm talking to her, and like that's her face. Like she can hear me, but she can't hear me. All right, round number one. I think it's gotta go to me with my Ferrari. wow first pick and the points. Ferrari versus Mercedes Benz. What is this? F1 racing? Not this weekend though. Next weekend though. Mike, you got the back-to-back picks. What are you gonna do, bud? I want. Do you know what I love? Because this is an era before, not just before voicemails, but before answering machines i want a bar where i go to get all my messages there two of my friends work there we're gonna cut it up a little one of them might be learning a song and but most of all this is where people if they want to get a hold of me call the bar that's so especially if you're going to be a private detective you're such a piece of shit like you're such a dirty stinky piece of shit pi like it's so awesome yeah that they like take your notes at the bar it reminds me of the witness because Paul Newman used to be or in that movie, he does like business basically out of the bar. But he wouldn't even have to tell client. They'd be like, "Well, we know, the we verdict. know, we know where to call the verdict." The yeah, verdict is what I mean. Um, yeah, it's a great one. And then you have to sit him, watch him. Like, all right, well, I have to make these uh, phone calls back on a rotary phone. And just yeah, dude, <laughs> love it. I want the whole experience, <laughs> the whole click clacky of it. Okay, I love it. Guy that's playing the piano. Books. It is back to you. What would you like in this, the second round? I want Roger Wade's study. Okay. Like it looks out into the ocean 
and like he sits he has a big old desk and he, i mean he's passed out drunk in his chair but um and I, as a writer to have the sea there all the yeah, time just the like, second you're ready to check out Bop, just pop into the ocean. I feel like that would imply that I've made it, even if I've been nothing yeah. productive in my Isn't life. Is that what like, being a writer is? Just, just you know? trick people into thinking yeah, that you've made it. That's all I would need. Okay, it's a nice study, very plush, and then like hidden alcohol all over it. Hidden alcohol yeah. and oh, just yeah. go out into the ocean like whenever I want. Like it's right on the beach. It's like, so awesome just... to like hit like a fake seagull and then like over here a bottle falls in your arm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I love it. All right, Ryan, what is your next pick? So, Greg, I don't really know what to do here because my next pick is Roger Wade's house. Yeah. Well, it's not Without the study. Minus the study. The study. <laughs> the study has been sniped. That house, like, because, uh, so we're in, like, a very, very nice neighborhood. Malibu where, Colony. Like, yeah. people know that just from, like, just in the world. I it's mean, like, they have a security guard. One of the best security guards that money can buy. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that house is, like, I don't know. It's. I wouldn't ever think to design it that way myself, although I like the way that it is. Like, I, yeah. if I so moved into plants. it, yeah, I would keep it that way. Would you feel like you were on display everywhere, though? Because I would. In a house like that, I feel like I see I that a lot. Be... In Southern California, like, there are a ton of houses sure. that are just, like, all glass. Yeah. Like, do you want to walk around naked? Everyone's going to see you. Uh, and, yeah, I want that. Oh, okay. <laughs> you want, That's why uh, fun I chose the study. The study felt like it was kind of secluded. Yeah. Just... Well, that's still yours. A fun fact about the house. That is Altman's real house. Oh, really? Oh. Yeah. He was like, oh, I don't know a perfect place to shoot this. Wait a minute. That is a fun fact. What if I don't have to leave? <laughs> okay. I think I'm I'm going to go with and an having a, a naked lady apartment next to your <laughs> apartment. So an apartment adjacent to a naked lady apartment. I feel like this is something movies kind of promised me would happen <laughs> and then didn't really ever pan out in any meaningful way. I feel like this is something that a Ferrari fan would definitely pick. Right? Yeah. yeah. So naked lady apartment. But I want the apartment next to it because mm-hmm. I could, I would have no place in the naked lady apartment. But you could have meetings there or something. Uh, and then for the last round, for my last pick, let's see. I think I'm going to have to go with that tiny harmonica. It's so <laughs> little. I thought I would get that for sure. <laughs> it's the smallest one I've ever seen. I have very little idea what it means in the context of the movie. It's like the movie is handing you this tiny harmonica and being like, this is an image. And you you get it and you're like, I don't know exactly what to make of this, but I love it. It's so tiny. Greg, if we can, I know that you're the host and you have a lot on your plate, but if we could talk about that at some point, because like, was even Marlowe offered that harmonica or was he just shown that harmonica and took it straight up? I, my feeling of that was that that is supposed to be the actual Robert Altman in the bed next to him. And he's literally talking to the director of the movie. And so like he and that character just understand each other perfectly. So much so. And so they don't have to really say anything. And so like their conversation advances much quicker than the audience can view because the things they're actually saying to well for one the guy just goes and then uh uh, philip marlowe just like answers but they really seem to be communicating something and the guy is holding a tiny harmonica like it just he seems kind of like a weird stand-in for god right yeah but i also saw it as like marlowe does not see the difference between what is offered to him and what is just there that he just takes immediately i like that i like that yeah and it's like He's just, he was a, a, a part of a class of people just starting to learn that maybe the world is not being just constantly offered to you right. on a platter. That like, yeah, so I, I could definitely see that. In fact, 
Ryan. I'm going to give Ryan a point there. Oh, and then let's see. Who won the second round? I think... You know what? I was blown away by the, the bar that, like, takes your <laughs> messages. Uh, I got to go with that. So, Mike, that goes Mike. to you. Ryan, what is your final pick? Uh, Greg, for my final pick, I am going to... Uh, let's get a little bit meta here. Okay. Um, this movie was a failure. Yeah. Huge failure. And then uh, left theaters and then came back on just the coast. And, uh, with a new funny poster. With a new funny poster designed by Mort Drucker, who did all the Mad Magazine um, right. movie parodies with all of like the very boxy yep. like uh, word balloons. And so I actually uh, – this is not technically in the movie, but I would like – I would love a, uh original copy of the giant long goodbye Mort Drucker movie poster for my house. I love it. The real movie poster, as we might call it. Uh, yeah, to hear them tell the story of it, the original poster, people went to the theaters and were like, I'm mad about what I'm seeing. Yeah, th- mm-hmm. like, I wanted bang, bang, yeah. kiss, kiss, you know? And then the second poster, people were like, this is exactly <laughs> for what I wanted to see, and I feel good about what I saw. All right, very good. Books, what is your final pick? You know, it's a final pick that it's definitely selfish for me. I don't think it's going to be like wanted um but in the opening scene when we see those uh neighbors you can have the neighbors you can have them as your neighbors thank you the one of the main girls was wearing this awesome floating like dressing gown robe thing that i really fucking want there are some <laughs> very nice diaphanous she dresses in there. barely had a twirl and that thing was flying around her and it was That's, delightful i think the key to clothes is like you do the least amount of work but the clothes do the rest yes. of the work yes. they it's do the an flow. attitude for me like if i don't want to have a personality that day it doesn't matter i am wearing that that really helps capture the like the ethereal presence yes. that they're supposed to to have in it all right mike where are you going what's your last pick? i want terry lennox's mexican getaway when he's <laughs> sitting in the hammock and there's like a water feature there that you have to walk over a little st- cobblestone bridge thing it looks so relaxing and beautiful before you get shot yeah, and obviously, how what he did to get it, big thumbs down for this podcast. <laughs> so wait, not, you don't, don't, you don't like that? Yeah, don't okay. do that. But once it happens and you're past it, and then there's like the you can't influence it anymore. Then down in Mexico again, the hammock, the water, it would can make we, such a nice gurgling sound. Can we just point out too that like the big edit in between him going to get out of the hammock and then him getting out of the hammock, and they cut out all of the like, God damn it, yeah, <laughs> son of a big spinning. Yeah. Honestly, there, I think it would have been more true to just watch him. Like, hang on, <laughs> hang on. Oh, I almost got it that time. Was the the casting of this guy was that a little rough? This is a like an actual baseball player. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Was that a good choice in the end? I noticed in that last scene specifically. Obviously, Robert Altman was like, "Well, you should shrug a little bit," and he took that to mean at every line <laughs> I deliver, shrug. So I didn't. You, we got an argument. Shrug. Dude, Altman might be like. Totally a genius, but also a fucking weirdo and a moron. If you listen to him talk about making movies, he's like, I point the camera. I wait until a movie happens. When I know that a movie has happened, then I move on to the next scene. And then I put all those scenes together. He's like, uh, he's like an idiot savant or something. <laughs> yeah. He can't really explain what he does. Like, he's like, he, he waits until something interesting happens. And then he's like, all right, I guess that's, I guess that'll be the movie. Yeah. I think that's a lot harder to do when you have non-actors going toe to toe with Elliot Gould. Yeah. I, I, like. I think he was going for something because he's talking about masculinity in the movie. And so you bring in a jock, but it just, it, it like, he sticks out. He doesn't really like no John Cena. He's no John (laughs) Cena. In fact, we can see too much of him. Mike, I'm going to give that to you, man. You were on it today. 
Another point Mike. for Mike. And then, of course... Well, he had two weeks of Mike. film camp that he went to. Yeah, dude. He's since really, his last performance. He's really been studying. When we come back, this is only the middle of the show, but we're about to talk about the end. We spent a lot of the first segment talking about Gould and Marlowe. And I want to talk about that specifically with the end of the movie. How does the end of the movie, the killing by Marlowe, spoiler alert, of the living but soon-to-be-dead Terry Lennox, does that fit with... How does that fit in with the rest of the movie, and what are we to make of it, Mike? I I get that Gould, or Marlowe, uh, is supposed to be so frustrated at the end of this rope and so disgusted with what his friend did, especially because Terry Lennox does not give a shit what he's done, uh, that he's like, he snaps, but it felt much more... Humphrey Bogart Marlowe move to shoot him okay. and not like mumble a quip and bring him back to justice. Feels like our Marlowe would do that. Or not even bring him back to justice, but just like, this is life. It's Cut okay him out with of me. his like, friendship or whatever. Yeah, like... <laughs> we are not friends anymore. <laughs> but and what... Craig, if you, if you did, if I watched you, like if you killed your wife, I would, I, don't, I think we'd still be friends. Well, let me ask you like, <laughs> that's awful. <laughs> Yeah, I would not be, by the way. <gasps> okay, you know what? Mike. That's a point for Mike because that's the that's the test. You should not be my friend so much that if I kill my wife, you're still my friend. You you no longer have an obligation to be my buddy. <laughs> well, was she was she like, burp, 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 you know? Oh my goodness. Um but it, Oh my goodness. <laughs> why? Let me ask you cuz Mike, you you seem to have a pretty good grip on on like why Marlo does it. Books, why did you think that Marlo kills Terry Lennox in the end. I think it was, I think he was so stuck in this idea that because he would never do these things that other people do, someone he was friends with so wouldn't do. Okay. And I think it, if he didn't, it reflected something bad about himself. Okay. So like because he didn't, he didn't like the way measure. it looked to himself, if he didn't. Yeah. Like how could I, it would be like, so how could I be friends with someone who is this much of a monster if I let him keep like it, but reflects, also vouch for him that. Yeah. Like the times. whole movie. He's like, I know it's not true. So if he let him, it was almost more of a stain of a reflection of who he was, not truly his character that he would want to kill him, but. And specifically the fact that this guy killed his own wife. wife yeah. Because the, the, there's also the, the, the idea that it could be because Terry then like kind of hangs everything on him. And not just by showing up at his apartment and being like, hey, could you take me down to Tijuana? But he does, like, three things after that that kind of, like, implicate Philip Marlowe. But, hey, what are But that never for? bothers him. Yeah. It's, okay, so you don't think that does factor into his decision in the end? Because to me, I, when I first watched it, I was sure that the reason he kills Terry is because he can't believe. Like, uh, the author says at one point, Wade says about him... I never knew the guy. And I feel like a big part of the reason why he kills him is because he cannot believe that, like, that guy could kill his wife and then come over and just, like, sit on his couch. Right. That he lives with those type of men in the world and that he can't even parse who they are. I, I It does stand out to me. Like, every time I watch it, I'm surprised by the ending somehow. Like, a reversed... Shyamalan where you're like I can't believe that this thing just happened because you like this is not the Marlowe yeah. that I have been watching this entire time and so I have to keep going back to Altman who keeps alternating between like in my head about like what he feels about 
73 as opposed to 43. And is this a better time or a worse time? And he keeps rooting for Wade. What's the author's Roger Wade? Yeah. Who is Ernest Hemingway, who is like the old school, most like old school Hollywood, like I'm I I'm gonna wrestle a bear and drink a shot and then write a <laughs> book tonight. That's and then a- the movie invites us to think that he's the bad guy. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And then but the, the then the big switcheroo is that no, it's this so, sort of more modern coded, but still very evil, and, and doesn't even understand the depth of his evil. Marlo watches, like he watches along with his uh, with Eileen watches Roger Wade go into the ocean. Like, where have you gone, Joe DiMaggio? Like, we, I am watching the my era go away. I'm literally watching it go into the ocean and kill itself. And so now all I am left with Why? are these fucking hippies, and I can deal with. The, the the apartment of naked girls, it's all okay by me. You know, you guys want brownie mix? I like I'm not judging you, you know, like he does a pretty good job of like not being horned up or judgy around yeah. that apartment. But like he seems unfazed by it for the most part. I, it, it's, it's like he's he's used to it or he's like this is his world now, as opposed to like I think it's Johnny, the hitman, who's like He's got the binoculars. And he's like, yeah. "Oh my God, Philip Marlowe, have you seen these girls?" He says, "Do you think of a of an apartment full of like six women? Do you think they're a couple of lesbians?" <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, nobody ever expected a mook to be able to count. Okay? <laughs> but then at the end, it's almost like 1973 sensibilities of like whatever, man. Pushes him too far, where he has no choice but to shoot it in the face. Because then it goes all the way to like this sort of moral ambiguity about like violence and and, and uh, Marlowe's black and white is so black and white. And I think that the thing with Lennox is like, uh, well, she just got crazy, right? She just got a little crazy, and I had to hit her. He beat her face in. Yeah, there is a line there. That's a line that Marlowe sees where he's like, no, you can't live anymore. And because he doesn't react when the other girl gets hit with a Coke bottle. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, he like kind of reacts, but it's yeah. not like he spends the rest of the movie going like, what the fuck? No, what the fuck? Right? Like, he's just like, it's kind of like, wow, that was, that, that was really did up. show how hardcore this guy is. And he's messed up and I don't like him. So I don't want to get involved with him, but not like, you're a psychopath, man. Like, well, don't he even does come use, he uses it to dig at the guy later. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't, yeah, he's not so affronted by the violence against a woman in front of him. And, he's and like, well, I'm going to tuck that away to have a snide aside next time I see Marty Argus. No. And then later the conversation, he he literally talks to that woman and he's like, hey, you want to smoke? And she's like, no, thank you. And he's like, oh, it's okay by me. And it's like, okay, now it kind of feels like you have shrugged off everything that's happened to right. this woman. Mm-hmm. And this is also but, okay th- by But you. that's the thing is that like literally everything must be shrugged off in order to maintain peak Marlowness. Yeah. You know, it's like that, like literally, like... There are some deeds that should like be avenged, but that's why the shooting at the end comes so out of left field to me is because Marlowe's just gonna Marlowe all the way up and down the street, just mumbling and like retying his tie instead of like actually taking severe action. And then another strong choice uh, centered around the end of the movie is the kind of whole big plot twist of Terry Lennox being alive is like shoved into this conversation exterior to a car where he's driving with two of the guys down a dirt road and one of them says oh yeah he's still alive and then they very quickly make a joke and move on and then we see him walking yeah i think that's something that the 40s and the 70s have in common of like i don't fucking care this is so unimportant to us like 
what we're saying about the man man and what we're saying about these characters that's the important that's part. the important part like all of the like twists and like the little turns whatever man the actual right. detective work right it's supposed to be happening altman famously said of this movie i will make it but you the only thing you can't do is you can't change the end i have to have like final sign off on the end so obviously he saw the end as very important that doesn't mean that he cared about every single element of it i mean he maybe just cared about the shooting but it is it's a odd kind of moment that you like are liable to maybe miss like the, mm-hmm. even the way it's shoehorned into the dialogue it's like they they are talking all around it and then the next thing you know is it, that maybe because like we're gonna see him alive in a second anyway so it doesn't matter like we'll all catch up yeah it feels like maybe because it's not just shoehorned in it's 80 yard in we're yeah. not seeing these characters talk and it feels like either by the shaggy way Altman makes movies or there was a longer version where this baseball player can't act explained all the same stuff <laughs> and it just didn't work and it was not clear that it felt the most studio noted part of this movie to me of like, I don't know, just have these three characters. You'll never see their mouths explain everything that's happened in the movie so far. As a car sort of drives through yeah. this city. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard because... This era of Altman, which is the era of Altman, right? Uh, if we go MASH, uh, Long Goodbye, McCabe and Mrs. Miller, is like these three classics of Hollywood, war movie, Western, detective movie. Uh, uh, I'm going to make it so they're never looked at the same again, mm. right? So like, I'm going to fucking flip them on their head, blah, blah, blah. And so what he's doing is he's picking and choosing what he wants to keep from those 40, 40s movies and what he wants to turn on their head. And like this part is interesting to me because it, it, it basically becomes like worse than or less dynamic than a Ken Burns documentary of like, I'm not even like Ken Burns would do more with this scene, show more pictures and have more <laughs> fiddle playing than what he shows there. And so I think it's just like, uh, let's fast forward. Like if we're on a book on tape, let's, let's hit the times two times three button to get to the point where I actually want to get back to again. Okay, and so that's why it maybe sticks out a little bit because he's just trying to race into that. And then, again, the harmonica. This is when he finally plays that harmonica, the little one. Uh, he plays a little song, and it's the first time we have heard in the entire movie a song different than the long goodbye. And it's clearly like he is free now. He's freed himself from this story. Um but what else is there about that harmonica? It's, it seems like it's so important to the end. The movie's really sitting on it. But do we get anywhere with it? <laughs> it's, I wonder if it's like there's that, you know, the street joke of let, let me play the tiniest violin. That's kind of what it said, feels like. If, our... if, if it feels like, oh, the harmonica's a happier instrument. So it's like this is as happy as he's allowed to be right now. Okay, I like is, that. He's a knuckle harmonica's worth of happy. <laughs> Yeah, the, the, for the kind of the worst like, version of one of the worst instruments for somebody <laughs> like Marlowe to succeed, who is a hero, yes, but like the lowest of the low, uh, it's on the uh, like the backs of other much more fucked up people, mm. and so we're all going to hand you the tools that you need to get to where you are. So, like, if you look at like Lord of the Rings, you know, like. Uh, I picked up all these things on my journey. And so I think it's one of that of like, it's it's hard for Marlo to find people that are more fucked up, that are more desperate to like give him the tools. And so here's a guy who, I like can, that. who can't move, who's like Ryan. cartoon. Yeah. 
level fucked up. I do have to say, probably one of the funniest cuts in film history is Marlo being hit by that car. Slam cut to the guy moaning, totally wrapped up in bandages. Slam cut to Marlo looking at him like, oh man, you look like you're messed up. That made me laugh out loud every time I watched this movie. Because you fall for it a little bit every time. And that's one of Marlo's inner thoughts, outer thoughts that kind of works is uh, when he's getting up and he's just like, eh, I've seen most of your pictures. It's yeah. like, yes, he does look like the invisible man. All right, Marlo, you finally got one. Okay. But like, yeah. I think that's where Marlo likes being is not like um, the gangster. and not Marty Augustine. Marty Augustine and not like the author, but like in the cracks. You know, I'm going to sneak through the cracks where like I'm never noticed. And like, so no extreme things ever happen to me. Or if they do, I will figure out a way to mm-hmm. like a worm or like water slide through. Yeah. Because that's what we're really getting here, right? It's like, it's like a tour through different forms of masculinity and him like not belonging to or fully denying any part exactly, of exactly right it's like it, yeah it, it's uh i this is stupid what you're doing but also i kind of like it to every single type of masculinity when we come back we're taking a visit to the hallowed halls of the pop filter hall of fame here we are in the recently rehallowed halls of the pop filter hall of fame we the original hallowing kind of wore off after a while, and so we had them professionally rehallowed, and I love it. What do you? What does everybody think? If if you don't rehallow, and we are recording right around spooky season, if you don't yeah. rehallow, the ghouls and goblins will sneak in. Oh man, this place used to be full of ghouls, but we finally got rid of them. Ryan, you are you fine with this hallowing? No, no, it's good. Like uh, I love this. Film. No, no, it's good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Um, it just smells like uh, the dust that settles on dust. You know, yeah. like it's mm. like second generation stinky dust. Yeah. Is that must? Is that is double dust must? Is that the math there? Must, yeah. Elon must. Books, we have invited you into the popular Hall of Fame, but you are only allowed to look and to comment on the things here. Okay. You are not allowed to say what you think should be in here. But okay. You, you can say what you think should not be in here by saying, like, that's a stupid choice or... You're a mm-hmm. fucking moron. You're or, very old. That's an old thing that only old people are aware of. Like, um, when Ryan says, like, let's do Werther's Originals. I'm like, whoa, the Originals. <laughs> <laughs> I like the sexy new Werther's. They got Werther's. Extreme Werther's. After Dark. <laughs> Werther's Baja Blast. <laughs> Gross. It's still kind of caramelly. <laughs> Mike, does this movie have a Baja Blast? No, different part of Mexico. Mike, what do you think belongs in the Pop Filter Hall of Fame? This is one of those where did I fuck up because I I just didn't look at the all the busts close enough. No. It this person is so important to I think like modern comedy. He gave us puking and screaming, call an ambulance and party down. Uh, telling these adult 30-year-olds that he is now their papa and they can stay with him even though him and their mom are no longer dating. Uh, he's the hot doctor in children's... Ken Marino Hell turns yeah. everything he's in into goddamn gold. He is and sort of in the Hall of Fame. Wet Hot American That's, Summer. I was, is Wet Hot in there? I thought the cat- well, now I want to highlight him alone. Oh, okay. Well, I was just, I was just mentioning Wet Hot American Summer as something he's in, not as something oh, that yes. is in the popular Hall of Fame. What do you, what do you think he? I thought the cast of the state was in. The yeah, I do think the state is in the Hall of Fame, but I think he, you know what? I I think it could be argued that he deserves his own place. Ian Michael Black that would help like kind of water down mm-hmm. the amount yeah. that Ian Michael Black is getting. Okay, a strong Ken Marino, usually one of the funniest people in every single thing he's in. 
and and I don't think it's apocryphal. A story is he cared so much about a sketch he once threw a metal chair across the room at a wall. And you know what? Uh, as somebody who's thrown a chair across the room while we've podcasted before, I respect that kind of intensity. Uh, in both happy, no, not happy endings. Um, the other two and uh, party down. He has a name that has a first name that rhymes with his last name. So that's oh heck why yeah. not be in Comedy the Gold. Hall of Fame right there. That's always going to be a good one. Ryan, who do you think belongs in the Pop Filter Hall of Fame? I also, Greg, like Mike did, walked up and down these fucking yeah. hallowed, musty, you really gotta dusty, stinky. Control F the busts. <laughs> <laughs> and I wanted to make... Oh, by the way, McKenna, yes. do you have any thoughts on Ken, Ken Marino? Marino? No, I don't have any comments. What if he had said I'm Dan cool. Marino? Star of Ace Ventura Pet Detective? Quarter, 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 one-time quarterback for the Miami Dolphins, Dan Marino. I would say I don't know who that fucking person is, That's so they true. don't belong there. So. The, the proof is in the pudding on that yeah. one. Um, Walked up the uh, hallowed halls and noticed something and then watched the long goodbye. And I saw this motherfucking swarthy, curly-haired idiot mumbling and bumbling his way all up and down the field. And I was like, Elliot Gould, you son of a bitch. You made me think of something. Greg Heinlein oh! is not in the pop filter hall of That's fame. true. I'm not. I'm standing in it right now. but Now, Mike Gravano is. Yeah, Mike is. And Ryan Haley is. Is that true? <laughs> that Ryan is? is? Yes, that is true. <laughs> yeah, we just when did you get in? We Ryan in recently. Oh, on his birthday, yeah. right? Yeah. I'm the only one on this show that's not in the Hall of Fame. But Greg Heinlein is not in the Pop Filter Hall of Fame. And I was like, Elliot Gould, you you done it again, you gotta buddy. Gotta move over. Push it. Push Greg in. I thought for sure you were just doing the mic thing of just like, who's in this movie? Elliot Gould, the Pop Filter Hall of Fame. <laughs> Elliot Gould. Let's, I love it. Let's not call that the mic thing. <laughs> that, is, that is 100% the mic thing. Oh, fuck. I we have know. a show in four minutes? <laughs> yeah. The, the mic thing is to forget that we have to go to the Hall of Fame. Oh, God. Here we are. Hall of Fame. Uh, I don't know. Tina Fey. Marble floor? <laughs> For mine, I think I've pitched this guy before. Oh, wait. Hold on. Oh. Okay. Books. I think shame on you for just now like realizing you have, yeah. a, you have a host not even in your Hall of Fame. I think that's a little weird, though, to put him in the Hall of Fame. You're in it? <laughs> I'm currently... I have I have to stand outside the Hall of Fame and talk to you through an yeah, open window. Yeah, screaming. It's very Well, we're both on our... Lazy yes. boy loungers <laughs> that are ours as part of our beneath our bus. Seems pretty cool in there. It's very hot out here. Is it cool? Is the AC? I can kind of feel it coming out the window. Do you, Do you think it like lowers the standards of the Hall of Fame that you both have put yourselves in? The Hall I of do Fame? not put myself in. I was not to on be that fair show. to me. I was out for months. Yeah. Was one, of, one of the times I was right. dead. I'll they be put the me first. Posthumously. If I vote for myself, I'll be the <laughs> first person to vote for himself. Well, now you've set him up for failure. <laughs> but I, I will tell you this much. My candidate is way more deserving of being in the Hall of Fame than I am. I recently watched a movie. Uh, and right. uh, thank you. And that movie was called Bottoms. Bottoms, yes. Bottoms is a very good movie that you are aware of its, its deficits and... You're, the whole time you're like, man, this is so close to the perfect movie, but it's not quite the perfect movie. And I thought, why isn't Bottoms the perfect movie? And I realized because they forgot to cast Tim Meadows. If you want your comedy <laughs> to be as funny as it possibly can be, and you have not cast Tim Meadows, then you have totally messed up. And say you accidentally cast Marshawn Lynch, who like, if he did a good job, dude. 
He did it. He did a fine. Job. He did an okay. He was super funny. He did an okay. I think he did an okay job. I think that if you had put Tim Meadows in that movie, sure. Plus, it would have been a nod to the type of movies that it was not parodying, but like in conversation with, if you can call bottoms in conversation with movies. I just, I think that it would have been a little bit. Have you guys better. seen Marshawn Lynch's episode of Murderville? I have not. No, it's pretty good. He, what, what I loved about Marshawn Lynch is. Um, because I'm not a sportser, I didn't know who he was. Uh, I was just like, well, this is a cameo. I can tell uh, yeah. by the way the camera just moved. You can moved, tell by the framing. This is somebody I should know. It is funny because he kind of like stands as like a, the chorus for just men uh-huh. who are watching the yeah. movie. And so like he's like, okay, women are pretty good. And then halfway through, they start having conflict with each other. And he's like, I knew it. Women are bad. And then at the end of the movie, he's like, oh, no, women are good. And when he's proven right, he doesn't cross off uh, no. feminism off the chalkboard. He crosses it out. Yeah. <laughs> Even though it's very erasable. <laughs> I am done with feminism. But Tim Meadows is the best part of so much of what he's in. He made Walk Hard, the movie it is. Pop Star, the movie it is. Many Ladies other. Man. Ladies Man. He he, he made, Ladies Man would not have been the same movie. Mean Girls. Tim Meadows. <laughs> He's the funniest part of Mean Girls. I mean, he's the funniest part of some very funny Broke stuff. his fucking arm during the filming of Mean Girls, and still... He didn't even there. care. He's like, you know what? Big deal. Whatever. So I have pitched him before, and he didn't make it. Is that it. true? Yeah. But yeah. Uh, I, 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 I feel very confident that he belongs in it. And again, also, he's got that thing where his career's been really long. And so like, we have years and years of Meadows to run in. Hmm. That probably ruined it right there. All right. Mac, Mac, what do you think about Tim Meadows? Oh, yeah, Tim Meadows. I haven't seen Bottoms yet, so that part you, of your argument, I am very sad to I'll say I'll show you Bottoms right now. <laughs> no. But, HR talked to us about <laughs> that. You can't say stuff like that. I do support this pick. Okay. I absolutely adore Tim Meadows. It's the so. first one she supported. <laughs> <laughs> that means something. <laughs> okay. She has weighed in. Mike, your pick was who again? Ken Marino. Ken Marino. Mike, do you vote for Ken Marino? I do. Ryan, do you vote for Ken Marino? We only have two picks for Ken. Yeah, well, it's very tense because three. we're only allowed to yeah. vote for two. And I do, but I don't. Ultimately, Greg, I don't. Ultimately, not voting for Ken Marino. I am also going to pass on voting for Ken Marino, which I do not mean as an insult yeah. to Ken Marino. But I do think there's like there's a, a, a level that is so high that is still kind of below the Hall of Fame. That's insulting. <laughs> yeah. said, I don't mean to insult, but like, yeah. you're worse than that. You're fine. <laughs> but, you know, ultimately, he's, a, he, he's, never, he's never done the job on his own, Ryan. So he's got to be a, a companion to something else. All right, Ryan, your pick is Greg. Mm-hmm. Do you think Greg should be in the Hall of Fame? No. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You even <laughs> had the vote. You even <laughs> had the vote to do it. Uh, yes, Greg. I think that you should be in the Hall of Fame. Well, thank you, Ryan. I appreciate that. Mike, do you think Greg should be in the Hall of Fame? Here's the thing. I do, but sometimes you go up against a really hard class. That's true. Oh, shit. And what hurts more, me not voting for Greg in or me not voting for Greg's pick? So I'm going to say in the future, I would love to say yes to Greg Heinlein, but it can't be tonight. <laughs> oh, no. Wow. <laughs> You had the chance to not vote to your own, though. Wow, I love did it. Did Mike just get points for that? I love. He did, yeah, because that was that was in my face and extreme. But you sound so <laughs> torn up about it. But you could have not voted for your own pick. That's true. I, sorry, but uh, <laughs> let, let's face it: when we come to do Pop Filter Hall of Fame, we do uh, not no, mess it's, around. It's, hey, we, we rock do not the vote. Rock the vote. Can't rock the vote, baby. 
I uh, well, I have the vote, so I might as well use it for me. Yeah, I, I this would have been the final vote um, I for me in the Hall of Fame. And Greg will be here to host next week's episode. That's what I am concerned about. <laughs> Got right a now. lot of soul searching to do. Got a lot of soul searching to do. Got to figure out. You know, maybe I could have done better what somehow. F- what a what a fucking holy shit! Yeah. Here, here's a layup, please, Mike. Put this compliment in the basketball hoop. So we can score two basketball but that points. Like, he didn't kill his wife, but he might be a bad friend still. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't kill me. Don't kill the messenger. But that's fine. Uh, that's fine. That's how it's going to be. That's how it's going to be. Uh, I will call on myself for Tim Meadows. I think Tim Meadows is a perfect choice for the Pop Filter Hall of Fame. Ryan, do you think Tim Meadows? No. Wow. My vote would have been yes, and now this negates my no Greg vote. Everything's fucked. I hope Everybody you feel good about sucks. yourself. <laughs> <laughs> well, the way it works is sometimes nobody makes it into the pop filter hall of fame. You have a class so strong that they all <laughs> knock each other out and nobody makes it. Do you remember those Olympics? Like 84, right? Yeah. Los Angeles. Everybody's like, you guys are all so good. No gold no medals. No gold medals <laughs> no at all. Medals. Silver is for everybody. That is the Pop Filter <laughs> Hall of Fame. Let's delete that. A, li- a little <laughs> emptier than we might have expected it to be when we arrived today. Guys, I'll meet you out here when you're done with your exhibits, and we will head back to talking about The Long Goodbye. The Long Goodbye is in many ways a throwback to old Hollywood, while also being 1973 as Fudge. What is a Long Goodbye's relationship to the most beautiful fraud in the world? The cinema. Uh-huh. Is that what you say about movies? I do. I call them the most beautiful fraud in the world. I call them the greatest con ever conceived. Hey, hon, do you want to uh, go to the theaters tonight and maybe see the most beautiful fraud in the world? Ryan, check it out. <laughs> check it out. Movies. That's just a series of still pictures. 24 per second? 24 per no, second. No, they move. And your brain makes them move. Oh, yeah. That's the illusion. That's the con that you play on the self. You go in there to hallucinate together. And that's what happens. It's notable that the first song we hear after the long goodbye is the little ditty on the very small harmonica, which I think we've gotten to the very bottom of. But the next, the the the, cre- the roll credits, the other song on the soundtrack is "Hooray for Hollywood." And it's it's actually the bookends. That is musically the opening credits is "Hooray for Hollywood," okay. and then you get the full version over the credits. So you, it is. If you didn't get that this movie's about Hollywood, guys, he was telling you musically I, from the beginning to the end. And, like, about Hollywood, like, Babylon is. Like, I don't know if it's about Hollywood, the city, or the movie place that things get made, or just about the knowledge of it, right? Like, if we want to go a little bit meta, like, do you know that movies exist? <laughs> no. I'm sorry. We should Move stop on. to ask everyone, do they know wh- who the Muffin Man is? Because... <laughs> We've been on the lookout for a while. But, uh, like, do you know, what, like, that there is pop culture? Yeah. And, like, I found that interesting throughout this whole movie because it feels like that Elliot Gould, Philip Marlowe walking through this movie is pop culture in a real world, quote unquote. But then, like. Yeah, you said that a couple times that, like, it's Barbie coming to the real world. This is like Philip Marlowe is just suddenly in the but, actual world. But then, like, well, I, I think I, it's almost reverse. Because he does not act like the hard-boiled detective who's going to punch everybody that we've gotten to know. But he runs into and he's like, the gangster's going to act like movie gangsters. The cops, he like quotes them. He's like, is this the part you do this? Because you're going to act like ah, movie cops. Right. So, yeah, he's it, calling everybody out right. saying, I'm a normal guy and I've seen movies. Fuck all of you people. Right. So it's like uh, Jack Slater? 
from Last Action Hero. Okay. Yes. You know, like uh, like I know I know the tropes. I know, or like Cabin in the Woods or Scream or whatever you want to do. Like I think that this is the prototypical movie like that. I've seen the movies, so I know how to work in this world. But then there's also Johnny. And I, like, I keep going back to Johnny because Johnny is the most movie character of all who's of... Johnny? Johnny is a henchman who's like... Oh, the one who watches him who has the tie and he's like, fix your tie. That's Harry. Henry? Harry. Uh, hey, like, you can't... You, uh, here's, here's the address where I'm going to, you know, if you're going to yeah. follow me. Yeah. Uh, and then, like, it gets so broad where, like, uh, he goes to climb a fence and then uh, Elliot oh Gould opens a door and the fence just opens with him on it. Like, right. he is the most movie character of all of them. And yet, when Walter, Walter Brennan comes out as McKenna's security guard, he has no idea who that is. Yeah. You know, like, I think that's what we're playing with here is, like, what is your connection to film? Is it you know about it or you are in one? And I think that's what separates. Because one thing that's kind of interesting, characters. and maybe this reinforces what you're saying, is it's shot in a very anti-movie way, right? Like, we talked last week about how the camera never stops moving in Mean Streets. And that happens in this movie. It's just a lot more subtle, and I don't feel like you necessarily always are aware of it. It's not nauseating. It. It's not, yeah. And it's, yeah, like, it's not this camera work where you're, like, where you have to think about it. But... The camera never does stop. But in Mean Streets, it does stop moving, and we never notice. In Long Goodbye, it literally, literally never, never stops yeah. moving. And, and nothing that's, is that's ever so Altman is he's just because he's so shaggy with his script writing and is very improvisational. He's like, I'm going to move slowly through everything so everybody can do whatever they want. And they don't know if they're on screen or not because that's real while it's very fake at the same time. If you hear him talk about it, he says that he did it so that it would not so that there wouldn't be shots. He was afraid of having shots in the movie. Mm. And so like it's it's he's it's, so great, but he's such a jerk off. Honestly, yeah, he really sucks. Well, like the things he says are the things that a complete jerk off would say. But the way he says them, it's like he stumbled into being yeah. wise or something like he like because he doesn't say i have this amazing like the idea. Ernest hemingway from this movie yeah he doesn't do that really he's just like it's almost like oh gosh i thought kind of wouldn't it be weird if i did this and i guess it kind of oh worked. i'm a genius yeah like, I mean, but like it, it's weird because it's just not that it's it's not super offensive the text is offensive but to listen to him say it it's just he happened upon the idea. He said, you're trying to like figure out the alternative man, but I'm the alt man. Mm. You know, is what he said. Mm. Very good. The One of the things I struggled with in this movie that I know is just an Altman staple is the sound. Mm-hmm. I really, like, everything is post- It feels like everything is sound after the, after, after the fact. And they did a really... I want to say they did a bad job, but I know that they did this the way they intended to, but he should not be turned away from the camera saying something. And it's as loud to me as somebody in the foreground facing the camera talking. It it was like, so that part was in my face. I could not stand the way so much of this sounded. It really like took me out of it a lot. Did anybody else have that same problem? Or is that just all in and there's nothing to do about it? That's it's, I guess it helps going like i think your first altman is always going to be hard but it helps knowing that and like and that's why rewatching is so good because you're like well now i'm going to pay attention to somebody else's dialogue i guess because i fucking have to because i missed it the last time i watched this and that's in and like for mccabe and mrs miller before this movie warren Beatty saw the final cut was like you dumb motherfucker you don't know how to do any sound you literally nobody can understand what's being said in this movie. and then the sound guy was like uh, I know I'm not supposed to say this, so keep this up background. I agree. He does not know how to do fucking sound. <laughs> <laughs> like, But wouldn't there have been a way 
to have the sound be done in post, as the kids say, and have it sound like <laughs> it is still in the environment of, or is that just too much, too much to ask for with the technology or with like the money he had back then, or does it just not matter? He truly doesn't care. I think. Yeah, I mean, and honestly, everything that he does that is wrong, and like, I'm not shitting on him. I think that he's an amazing genius. Blah blah blah, idiot savant. Everything that he does is wrong. Is counterculture, and so he like likes that. You know, like yeah. he gets off on that fact that like you can't hear what these people are saying. And I don't think that like this does not have the like the laid over dialogue of like Nashville. No, that's not what I'm talking about. It's not those layers of things. It's the fact that like. It doesn't matter where anybody is on the screen. Or also, I don't care what your mouth is doing. I'll just fucking... Yeah. I'll throw some dialogue on top of it. And it's like, we can't not notice that those two people are having a but completely like, different conversation. We're already in the artifice of film, baby. Yeah. Like, you know, like, like it's already there. Like, we're already looking at, right. um, you know, when... I, I, I think that when Elliot Gould comes downstairs, like, from, like, uh, sort of solving a case, and that is immediately interrupted by Marty Augustine immediately like what is this guy's life that's the artifice of film baby you know yeah. like the plot is crazy the and film not is crazy. fully explained right like i mean the movie really you you it can, does not matter you can connect the dots but like i feel like it's a pretty shaggy dog in the end and like how does how does the the woman know to show up with the money at the exact moment that she does and it's right. not even explained to the audience that she definitely is the one that dropped off the money mm-hmm. Right? Like, and it just, it's not even explained to the audience that that's what's happened. You have to kind of like put all of that together. And it's like he's very purposefully having this plot recede into the background. So we're just seeing people's reactions to it. Speed around at the perfect time. We haven't even talked about this figure, but it seems like very important to a third of the movie. What is up with Dr. V? The, the guy that like runs the health clinic that is supposed to dry people out. But is, first of all, a creepy doctor, like, stepped right out of Sisters. And second of all, is, like, more than any other gangster, is like, where's my fucking money? Where's my fucking money for my treatment? What are we doing with this guy? This is supposedly, like, a uh, making fun of Hollywood. I'll just go to a ranch and cure all myself. Yes. Which is a big part of, like, Hollywood culture, right? You get exhausted. But he's also the huge celebrity from Nashville. Like, this is the guy that yes. everyone revolves around. That, thank yes. you. That's why he was familiar. I kept staring at this guy. I'm like, why do I know this little face? And he's the head of the Illinois Ryan. Nazis in The Blues Brothers, if you're familiar with that movie. Well, I'm a, I am against that. And clearly, like, I guess he's the establishment. Is he supposed to be the establishment, though? Because, like, it's it's the... He's like a Manson-esque kook. Okay. Okay, like, so that's like kind how of a culty figure. He, yeah, he feels like a culty figure who's just a little less violent right. than Manson and a li- like knows how to play the game a little better, but feels just as exploitative of rich Hollywood Feels folks. as much like a gangster as any of the... He's right. like yes. tr- the true gangster in the movie. I mean, he comes in and he starts smacking around the guy that is like the archetypal version of masculinity. I mean, we have not a Hemingway type. The movie went out of its way to give us That's the beard, Hemingway. Bro. Yeah. <laughs> and then he basically bitch slaps this guy and humiliates him in front of everybody. He also seems like the only active character throughout, right? Ah. Because the real mobster guy, it just the only way he gets his money is it literally falls in his lap. And the whole time he's trying and searching it, but he never makes things happen. Um, Elliot Gould doesn't make a lot of things happen. Things happen around him and he has to accept it or yeah. move with it. He is the only active 
Mm. But that is like that's cult leaderish to me. Yeah, of absolutely. like, um, hey, you can leave anytime you want. Oh, I want to leave. Fuck you. What'd you say to me? Slap, slap, slap. Also, that being really small, that is so Manson. I mean, yeah. the, the Hollywood Hills, small guy that has this weird unearthly control. It also felt to me a little bit like Scientology, like yes. poking because his head up a little bit. When, when Sterling Hayden saw Elliot Gould outside that window, he was like, oh, I'm free. But before he saw Elliot Gould, he was like, oh, I am under the spell. I'm, yeah, like yes. this is my doctor, and I will do whatever he says. We, you cannot talk about this movie without talking about the fact that Elliot Gould or Philip Marlowe can light a match on anything, including that's his, that's multiple his, times yeah. glass. Is that a, is that like a trick? I can't believe we made it through a shopping spree without honestly. That was a mu- somebody drafting the most lightable <laughs> matches in the history of time. I literally was questioning. I was like, if I just run my matches in my house over just random surfaces, <laughs> would they light? Is that normal? There has to be a little bit of friction. I don't know if it's that he's so good at like the angle. Just yeah, the angle or something really drawn. I but, think that's again movie magic. I, all movie characters from his era, not ours, but not ours, nineteen seventy three, but his need to smoke. So they have to light at any point, <laughs> and so they will light on. Like you could literally rub them on water, and they will light. And you learn how to do it because that's how you're going to get your sweet sweet lady nicotine <laughs> right because that's his everything right like he says about spirituality at one point i have nicotine God, and when he's cooking <laughs> yeah he's just he's disgusting oh man and there are times where he does that thing where like smoking obviously generally is cool but i feel like this movie really pushes that like it's often not cool and one thing that's not cool about smoking is sometimes all the smoke goes directly into your eyes yeah. and that happens to Elliot <laughs> Gould like several flutter, different flutter, times flutter, yeah flutter. And he's like oh god i done burned my eyes um, Arnold Schwarzenegger is in this movie. Is this the best Arnold Schwarzenegger movie we've ever done for the show? Uh, T2. I think it's time to step down a step. I think this is it. This it, is the new one. He had a sexy little mustache and he got naked and said nothing. I fucking loved it. <laughs> and he had a page boy haircut. Come on. Uh, and this is good evidence of the fact that we think of Arnold Schwarzenegger as like a super buff dude, but he actually kind of got smaller to be a star in uh-huh. movies. He mm. is a house in this thing. He's too big. He's functionally like broken being that big. He makes there's, the rest of the mafia guys just not look yeah. like yeah. anything whatsoever. They're yes, they're just Honestly, this would be like um Altman making a joke, I guess, like about thugs. Like yeah. he's comically uh-huh. thuggy. Uh, did he, you notice there, that? There's a point where his pants are above his knees. They all start stripping, but then he still has to take a step threateningly forward. Nobody has ever been threatening with their pants half down. <laughs> yeah, dude. I'm still like, oh, he'll take out Elliot Gould I don't for know. sure. <laughs> Honestly, from what I've heard of Arnold Schwarzenegger, I bet he could be a little threatening with yeah. his pants half down. Uh, what, uh, what is with like the model UN version of Marty Augustine's gangsters? I feel like there was like a point about the fact that- The like, Benetton? Yeah, that he's got like- he says at one point, uh, uh, Marlo says at one point, yeah, you've got like one Irish guy, you've got one Mexican guy. I fucking love Paco, uh-huh. the Mexican guy that he speaks yeah. to in Spanish. And then when Paco talks back to him, he sounds like an announcer on a late night show. <laughs> like, hey, boss, I don't know. I think maybe we ought to think about getting out of here. And I, then- so Paco's the only one who threw to Augustine's bullshit. He's like, everybody's straight. Paco's like, I'm just going to not be here. Oh, dude, that's so awesome. <laughs> like, everybody take off your clothes. Like, hey, boss, you know, I got a lot of scars and I don't want anybody to see them. You think I can stand in the room? He's like, obviously, yes, Paco. You man the phone. Everybody else, get your clothes on. <laughs> Um, what genre of, or of music did you most like hearing the long goodbye in? And you can say none if the answer is none. Like, were people, did people get kind of haunted by this? Like, when did you first notice that this was the only it, song we were going to hear? We were talking about that movie Bottoms 
earlier. Yes. Uh, recent movie that came out, and like it's so weird to have like a broad comedy come out these days. Women's and, comedy. And there's uh, <laughs> starting women. Now. But like there's like actual jokes in there. And this movie also, like Bottoms, like sort of like has to like get you into the jump rope. Room. Yeah. And like I'm gonna feel your tone. Because for a while you're gonna be like is this movie dumb? And it's like, no, it's trying to do an unusual thing. It's doing a thing. And the sixth time, Elliot Gould's like, well, that's okay by me. And then he leaves the room. And it's like, the long goodbye. (laughs) For me, it's the first time he hits a doorbell. And the doorbell does the song from the movie. Like, oh, okay. I I think I see what's going on here. But did anybody have a favorite? Uh, The marching band. Yeah. The oh, in yeah. Mexico, like yes. the funeral band. Yes. Okay, that's a For good sure. one. I kind of because liked... I think at that point you're sick of it, and so that brings it back and gives it new life. You're like, all right. I kind of like the Eastern when the girls are doing yoga. There's like a very Eastern sounding one. Um, all right, let's see. Uh, is the Wade connection the fact that the Wades are connected to the Lennoxes? Is that too convenient? Is it a sign that this the book was way more convoluted and the movie is less convoluted? Is that realistic somehow? Again, I think that they all lived in the same neighborhood, and I think that these books a lot of the time are like middle class. Fuck you, the rich get to do what they want until one middle class person steps up and like puts a bullet in somebody, like st- okay. stops their fucking antics because the rich... You hear that, middle-class listeners? Just put a bullet in somebody. (laughs) The rich will just keep doing stuff. And so, like, um, Mr. Wade uh, was fucking Lennox's wife. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, To quote... No, Matt, go. Oh, no, I was just going to say, because they're all so interconnected, there's always going to be a connection. Like, it's not even forced. And there's one point early on in the movie where Elaine Wade is like, oh, what happened to our friend? And Elliot Gould's like, what? He's like, oh, I mean, your friend. Yeah. Only yeah. you know. Yeah. Your, your friend that only you know. That's part of why it's not convenient, right? Because isn't it actually more like she goes and tracks down Marlo? Because Terry just kind of is like kind of screwing Marlo. But it feels like she's the one who goes out of her way to like orchestrate right. bringing him into the entire. It, but also it feels to- very much the killer returning to the scene of the crime. So mm-hmm. she like Terry fucks over Marlo and she's like. I wonder if I could just use him because I don't know where Roger is and he won't ever know because he's such a dum dum. Yeah, I wondered though if it was she's not even really missing Roger if she's actually trying to bring in Marlo to hang all of the to hang the murder onto her husband. Yes. Yeah. So she can run away with the so that she can run away because as soon as she does that she jets like he goes to her house the day after. Uh, her husband drowns himself, and yeah. she's like already going to Mexico. Yeah, after um, Marlo and Elaine, like he walks by her car. Eileen, sorry. Um, she sees him, and she's like, "That's weird. I wonder what that's about." She knows right there that like, oh, we're fucked. Like, yeah, she, we're clearly found out. I feel like a lesser movie, and I'm gonna say it this way. I feel like a lesser movie would really stop to explain everything that happens in it. I feel like Altman's like, no, it's there. Like, you can figure out what happened, but I'm not going to explain it to you. It's just you. there's only one explanation that works if you take into account what everybody is talking about. But I'm not going to spell it out for you. When we come back, we are going to give this movie some awards. This movie deserves so many awards, and so let's get to giving it to them. How about pound-for-pound pound performance? Who delivers our best P-for-P, P, Mike? Uh, because in an effort to not do Gould, uh, I won't. And so <laughs> you did it, man. Your efforts paid off. Do you know who I think 
really walks the tightrope of is this movie a joke or is it serious and cheesy and it captures it really well is uh, Sterling Hayden who plays uh, Ernest Hemingway's Roger <laughs> Wade. Man, does this guy get the tone of the movie yeah. at all times because he is so exasperating to be around and loud and annoying. I can't imagine being friends with a big drunk with a beard. You want this uh, guy to be the killer so bad. You guess. really want, and then when he dies, it feels like kind of okay, and it's like, oh, okay, so it turns out maybe he did I, do it. But when when the little doctor slaps him, yeah. and you see him, you're like, did he get hypnotized? Like, something is broken in this yeah. man, and that, that, that that's where you're like, oh, no, Hayden can act his balls off. He's not just a caricature. Uh, yeah, I thought he was phenomenal. Ryan, what do you think? I went with um, d- d- the director of On Golden Pond. That movie with uh, Henry Fonda, where he's like, I'm an old man. It's Mark Rydell. And Mark Rydell was? Augustine. Mickey Augustine. Augustine. The, uh, the craziest guy who like really made me uncomfortable because he was so tiny and had a lot to do. And uh, in a movie with a lot of 1970s underacting, really did the 1940s Jimmy Cagney, I'm yeah. going to overact, and was threatening in a lot of the times. And then when it came time to like actually... Make me believe he did. Yeah. Because, like, he fucking <laughs> hit a chick with a Coke bottle. Yeah, he kind of does an early Kaiser Soze. Yeah. Like, that. I see this as my weakness now, and so I will attack it myself. Books, what do you think? All right, so I'm going to have to go with uh, Henry Gibson, who plays Dr. Berenger. I think it is so difficult to play that you're in control against people who are physically larger, but yeah. also just big presences on screen. And he does not... Shot. He doesn't disappear on screen, even though he very easily could. Yeah, um, he makes an intense amount of eye contact. At first, you think he's such a joke because he's like lurking around behind yeah. the counter and trying to hide. But then you realize, like, no, this guy is deeply intense. He also has that thing of like when uh, Marlowe takes Hemingway away, he's like, uh, "I'll let you go. I yeah. know you'll be back." You know, like that's the fucked up thing about his cult is like, I know you're going to come back. I am going to give that to Mike because I really found that the author character to be the most the most compelling. Ryan, what do you think about director signature? What is Alt, Altman's signature here? Oh, boy, Greg, there's so many. But I have to go with the nonstop movement of the camera because I think that Altman does this thing of, like, he is an annoying person, like the idiot savant, like the sort of, like, film class genius. But, like, we, as we talked about, like, we just watched – Scorsese do this with the camera in the last movie that we watched in Mean Streets and like it is too much yeah like, it was the height of too muchery and in here man it was just like we're always like trying to peer like I found myself yeah. watching this by myself and like there would be bushes in front of the camera and I'd be like I'd like go yes. around it to yeah. find For it sure. or like try to like pull back shutters yeah. because this camera stopped like it never stopped moving in this perfect way of like uh, could I like what, are you guys hanging out like could I also hang out yeah mm-hmm. so that's what I'm going and with. that was his idea but when he talks about it it's just like oh yeah I just thought that'd be <laughs> thought that would wouldn't that be cool yeah <laughs> books what do you think um, I have it uh, as his soap, like his slow pan over all of the surroundings before we get to like some like when we're going up to the apartment, we see uh, the girl's apartment and everything okay. that's to establish the setting and how much of an important role it plays that we are in L.A. and not in a different city. That apartment that complex are. really gets like we see all of it and it really it, like it's kind of sunk into the hills. It's kind of like just mm-hmm. in the Hollywood Hills. Mm-hmm. I like that. Mike, what do you think? Yeah, I think specifically the interrogation room scene, if you were like, 
you want to explain Altman to somebody is the camera keeps moving in between the guy watching the lieutenant interrogate Marlo. And when it's in the room with Marlo, it is moving around opposite of the interrogation. So Marlo is being surrounded and then it's moving back into the guy talking shit on them. And all three or four characters are talking over each other. And that's, it's hard to talk about Altman and not talk about everybody talking. The talking over each other. That's one of the times it really comes forward. I have a very strong feeling that Altman would not let, Elliot Gould or the other actors leave that room for a really long time until <laughs> he literally kind of broke. And there's several shots in that that I think are really Elliot Gould, like so sweaty and out of it and just being like, Robert, I can't do it anymore. Which is fucking hey. disgusting to think about now or like then, but now it's like, good movie, man. Yeah. Like, yeah. It, that works. Good call. It yeah. was worth it. You, you did it. A hilarious Altman story that I feel like maybe you guys know our listeners should know is uh, in McCabe and Mrs. Miller, Warren Beatty is a uh, prick who was like, no, I want 80 takes, yes. and Altman's a two-take kind of guy. And so they were fighting the whole time to the point that Altman would walk off set and leave it to his second unit director to take over. Until And Beatty would be like, do it again, do it again, do it again. Until the end scene when McCabe is dying in the snow, that's when <laughs> Altman was like, we need to do it again. One and he had time. Beatty in the snow for hours, and that's fucking funny. The fucking 70s, man. Mike. That's a great story, and Mike, I like the specificity Mike. of that, that scene. Uh, for a second, I thought, oh, he's already going to cringe. But no, uh, the, the, the interrogation scene had a lot to offer. McKenna, the movie's from the 70s. This is, this is 73. It's 50 years ago. Surely, at some point, you cringed. What is your cringe moment from this movie? I had one, and I don't think it's cringe for anybody else. But it was the mo- moment that like took... I was so in the movie, and then I got like jarred out because... Elliot Gould's character talks to himself nonstop. He's constantly mm-hmm. mumbling. He's mumbling about surroundings. It's the moment when he wakes up in the hospital bed and he's like, oh, yes, got hit by a car. It was shot. Or like, you know, on the ground. Like, <laughs> that was just, it was just weird. It felt so forced. And I get that it was supposed to be forced, but it didn't gel like the other forced moments. Yeah, I mean, like, we, did, we didn't talk about how Brechtian this movie's supposed to be. Like, like it really jar you out of... So there's some cuts like the Coke bottle cut, I think, mm-hmm. to the face, and then also him getting hit by the car. Is they're edited in such a way where like it's not supposed to seem natural; it's supposed to seem anti-natural. Like you are watching a movie, yeah. son. Yeah. Ryan, Mike, what was what had you cringing, buddy? Uh, I had a couple. I'll save one for an honorable mention. Uh, do you know what I, it, it is? And we've talked about it a lot already. Is the opening credits and the closing credits being hooray for Hollywood? Is like. <laughs> Hey, moron, do you not get what I'm fucking saying with this movie? Now you will. Like, when it comes over the closing credits, it was is it was just an eye roll, and I was like, fuck you, man. All right. Ryan, what was your cringe moment? Uh, I, I guess mine's similar, similar to Mike's, but um, I think the whole Al Jolson thing was improvised, I read, and so unnecessary. Yeah. And, like, this is not of any time. Like, I don't think in the 40s this would have been done. I don't think in the 70s yeah. this would have been done. This was like, He's very proud of us, like his improv- improvisation. And yeah, like, I, I thought to like rub my fingers on uh, fingerprint ink. You know, one of the most sh- shameful parts of Hollywood history. And they just do it. and like, But like, it really doesn't lead to anywhere like funny or thoughtful. It's not funny. It's not. It uh, doesn't really seem a commentary on racism. It right. seems like the character being racist. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's... Right. That's what it's got to be. Uh, maybe on a more literal level, the lady getting hit in the face with a bottle, like the second and third oh, time I watched to. this movie. Yeah. that. But like mm-hmm. knowing it's coming, when she knocks on the door, you're like, oh, honey, turn around, go the other way. <laughs> bup, 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 bup. Uh, and HM is uh, to have to deal with this kind of security guard who forces his <laughs> terrible impressions <laughs> upon people. Fuck you, sir. Loved it. 
Yeah, I loved it too. I loved it. <laughs> mm. I love that you could get a little space for yourself by just being like, he loves this character. Just do yeah. Walter Brennan. That'll that'll get the guy off your your back a little bit. Mike, what was the best Gould one liner? Again, not uh, the, he, like the the funniest intentionally character, but there are a couple zingers. So, what one you? He got? has some some anti zingers, and but the, the one I, I really liked is the uh, Harry. In case you lose me in traffic, this is the idea <laughs> where I'm going. He's like, I'm proud to have you following me. Like pats the kid on the cheek and stuff. It's like that. That is fucking. Marlo, man, he's just like everything is a little funny to him. Yeah, in case you lose me, here's the address where I'm going. Ryan, what do you say? <laughs> that scream, right? Like that's what's the screen? Kevin Williamson. That's like I've uh-huh. seen the characters have seen the movies. Uh, I picked um, what is that? Oh, it's a picture of James Madison. Yeah, like, I'm. I technically I'm telling the truth, you know, like, <laughs> and I'm not going to tell you anything more than that. Yeah, I feel like that's sort of like it's not super witty, but it is sort of like his barb. What do you say, books? I had the same as Mike's initially, but I do have a backup, and that's his like final line where uh, Terry calls him a loser, and he says, "I, I lost my cat." Yeah. <laughs> 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 just honestly, yeah, and the way that that like goes brings us all the way back yeah. mm-hmm. to the beginning of the movie, which again is like really leaning on the fact that like he has to go to the store to get this cat food at three a.m. Like, yeah, and it's like the movie takes a long time before you're like, "Are we in the but, action of the movie?" <laughs> but like, he could not. Like, I, he couldn't go and hunt that fucking cat down, so he had to hunt Terry down yeah. instead. Like, <laughs> it, if you break his heart, he'll find you. Ryan. Yeah. It's just that he couldn't find that cat. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, how about, Ryan, let's start with you. What is the sexiest Gould moment? Oh, God. Uh, outside of a TV guide? Outside cover? of the TV guide cover. <laughs> Do yourself a favor. If you've ever seen a picture of Elliot Gould and Grover on the cover of TV Guide, it's so hot. the sensuality just like pouring off the page. Is, it's almost too much. Um, there's a scene where, like, and it feels like, like, okay, remember, we have to be a 1970s movie. And so uh, Philip and Elaine. Eileen. Eileen are with. Uh, <laughs> Come on, Eileen! Are with each other and they're like they are laying down on beds eating crudite. Like clearly something's about to happen. And she's like, <laughs> another dried apricot. And he's like, well, I'll take that. Actually, I'll put it where I put the last one because they give me diarrhea. Like classic, <laughs> classic sexy. That gold is Ryan's kind of sexy. <laughs> but then it, she's like, you know, you are you, you are rather sexy. And then he makes this face of like, you were already so ugly, bro. And then he makes the second <laughs> face that like I can't believe. It's Gould, man. It's Gould. It's Gould. Books, what do you say? I say it's it's when everyone else is stripping down and he's just resisting yeah. and not uh, stripping down. Um, it's very 70s. All the men are wearing like tidy whities. It's just <laughs> so, so trapped in that moment. But He should have been like, slow. I got a lot of body scars too. Yeah, it's just, it's so slow and it's uh, resistant, but he just keeps talking through it. Um, and that just felt like a, anti to the moment but also uh, it worked really well yeah it's weird how uh that's the way it works with men where if a bunch uh, if a bunch of women are standing around and one is clothed but the other ones are in their underwear those women are going to seem sexy but if it's a bunch of dudes yeah. it's this guy that's mostly <laughs> most covered up that, that guy's wearing a suit i like that <laughs> i like when you can't see their bodies that much <laughs> so much better when they're mostly hidden mike what do you say there's um and he like shuffles zombie like through most of the movie, but they, it's very towards the end. It's the last time he talks to his neighbors, and he's walking back towards his apartment. And his the five o'clock shadow is just perfectly shaggy enough. The tie is loose, and the cigarette's like barely hanging <laughs> to his mouth. And I'm like, fuck, this guy is fuckable. <laughs> like there, there's just something about his half being there. 
Yeah. It really hit. That's sort of like I can barely push myself through the world. If there's a sexiness. Because we were I think we based this in part on Nashville where he is just smoldering the entire time. But he's and like playing himself, right? He's being an actor yeah. then and he has the confidence that Elliot Gould really has. But that's not what this character has. So I'm gonna give it to Mike because he does have that Mike. disheveled sexiness. How about some recommendations? What books should we books or TV, films, whatever, could be anything. What should we read if we like this? Mike, let's start with you. I feel like you're our detective guy, right? You're a detective I, story I become guy. one because yeah. I'm old. Uh, but I think I've talked about Bosch a lot on this show. You have so talked. I'm not going to yeah. talk about that. Um, and maybe I've talked about this too because I love Ryan Johnson. Um, his early 2000s movie Brick starring Joseph Gordon-Levitt as a high school detective oh, yeah. who nobody likes because he refuses to not talk like a 1940s detective. <laughs> uh, it's it's so good, and just another, like, look at this genre. Isn't it fun to play with all the things you expect from the genre and twist it? Uh, it's it's awesome. I love it. Ryan? Brick. I mean, uh, I'm going to go with stuff, something that, like, is probably not watched that much anymore, so I'm going to go with The Big Sleep. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is a Philip Marlowe yeah. movie that does star Bogey. Uh, co-written, I guess, I don't know how much, by William Faulkner, and when pressed, oh, and Lee Brackett, the screenwriter of this movie, The Long Goodbye, was the screenwriter of The Big Sleep. Oh, wow. Um, and when wow. pressed about details about what happened in the actual movie, they were like, I don't know. I don't. Yeah, I man, have no The Big idea. Sleep is twisty. And, like, it, it doesn't matter. Like, the, I, I think that uh, this Marlowe, Bogey's Marlowe, is a lot less complicated and a lot more like, hmm, <laughs> uh, Just, like, one-liners. But, like... That doesn't matter. The The labyrinthine part, uh, the plot doesn't matter. It's just about like watching these people go do this thing. And uh, you can't find it anywhere right now. But it might, it'll probably be streaming on Mac soon. So the big sleep. All right. McKenna? Uh, so I have a book. And it's uh, along I thought the you lines. Would. Yeah. Uh, if you like, like, you know, trying to figure out whether a death is a murder oh, or a suicide God. or anything like that. Um, it's Everything I Never Told You by Celeste Ng. And it's her first, it's her debut novel. She has a few more. that um, Little Fires Everywhere. Yeah, Little Fires Everywhere. Um, and she has a recent one out now. Uh, but that one's Big her butt, first small one. small butts. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, it, it's great. It's, uh, it's kind of through the process of figuring out about this, solving the, the mystery behind this death, you learn more about yourself um, story. Uh, not comedic. I will give that warning. It's not a recommendation <laughs> on the comedic side, just a recommendation on the mystery, the detective work and the recommending one book interesting i'm gonna be recommending three books Uh, william gibson's sprawl trilogy uh if if this movie is neo noir there is like cyberpunk futurist noir and i have just been reading these books again for like this is like the third time that i've read them and all the ways in which it is a regular detective novel uh, are very cool and then all the ways in which it adds to that with this sort of like magical technology and pu- like pushing the boundaries of, of virtual reality and, and AIs and everything. Um, it's just very cool. And in all the ways that like detective novels tend to be cool and then added like just a bunch of neon lights and um, cool hacking elements. Well, that is the awards. Those are the recommendations. When we come back, we're going to talk about how well we think this movie is going to do in the bracket. And I'm going to tell you who won this episode. Books, thank you so much for joining us as a guest. You scored 10 points, which was the least. Uh, that's okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Ryan, who is not in the room, scored 20 points. And Mike, you scored 26 points. Now, oh! 
this to me felt like one that you had to have. Am I? Is that an exaggeration on my part? Like this kind of feels like I think of you when I think of this movie. Thank you. It's you know I don't think all week I thought of that, but it, like I think when you clicked into like I've become the detective guy. This is the old yeah. man I'm becoming. So yeah, it, it and I read a bunch about Altman and just went on a Marlowe kick and I fucking love this shit. And then when it doesn't feel like work, I think that's a sign. Yeah. It's also kind of a yoga movie, so maybe I should have won it, but I only got two points. I got out to a roaring start, but then I lost. The thing we have to talk about, though, is how well do we think this movie is going to do in the bracket? Because we were kind of all over the place with different takes on it. But I have to say, personally, I thought very strong movie. Very interesting, uh, very thought-provoking, like picked its lane and stayed in it, uh, executed fully what it was trying to do. Uh, it, to me, kind of feels like the best movie we've done so far. It does end that it's not perfect, means we get to chew on it and think about yeah. it over the next however many weeks, and that is always a positive for a movie. Books, you obviously haven't seen the other movies for this year, but it, does this, you've been on Movie of the Year a I lot. Have. Does this feel like one of the better movies you've watched for Movie of the Year? Absolutely one of the better movies I've watched for Movie of the Year. I also have to say that, like, sometimes movies made in a certain era. I'm highly critical of some movies made in, like, 60s and 70s because they Mm. genuinely hold this attitude of, like, we are the future now. Mm. Like, they kind of, you can feel that about it. This movie does not feel that way. And it feels just good in that yeah. but it doesn't yeah it doesn't feel like uh this is the height of time and culture and the most society's going to progress it kind of like mocking a, that attitude exactly yeah totally and, and it's it just feels and like I a bunch of that. elements all coming together perfectly at the right time um i don't know i i this is the one to beat for me and i think if ryan were here he would say the same thing but he he found out that he lost yeah and he, he got really upset and so uh we hope he'll be back next week but um maybe maybe he might not be we still have a lot of good movies coming up in this season and we are going to join you next week but until then do us a favor would you keep watching them movies all right yeah that was good